<laughs> That's so much better than holding that thing. Good morning. Thank you for being here. If you don't recognize me, it's because I dyed my beard and my mustache black for Halloween, and I'm still a little Jack Sparrowish this morning with some stuff. So, and it's No Shave November, so get used to it. It's going to be on for another month. Thanks for being here this morning. I don't want to ever miss an opportunity to tell you guys, good for you in showing up to church. When you just show up to church, it says something. And it says something to God. It says something to everybody else that's here. And so thank you. Thank you for being here. As Kurt was saying earlier, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Heaven is for Real? Question mark. And yes, heaven is for real. And there's quite a few things that we have decided to unpack for you guys in this short little sermon series. There's so many different things that we could be talking about. But we really believe that it's important that every single person here understands some things about heaven. And here's one of the reasons why. I want to read to you a verse. And as you watch, because it'll be up on the screens, or as you hear me read through this verse, I want you to see and understand the imperative in here. Or in other words, there's a command that's been given. Let me read this to you. It's in Colossians chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 3. You can read it with me. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. It's part of a letter that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. If you're not familiar with Paul, he's... One of the apostles, he spent quite a bit of time with Jesus, just like many of his disciples did. And Paul's responsible for writing quite a bit of the New Testament. So if you're not familiar with him, there you go. There's a little bit of info on Paul. But the reason why Paul was saying this to them is because he didn't want these people in this church or any of the other churches, in other words, he didn't want Christians, to be preoccupied with the things that are going on inside of their life, inside of their world. In essence, he said, don't think about just the things that are going on here on earth. Think about the stuff that's going on in heaven. And the reason for that is, is he knows and he knew that when people lose sight of heaven, and all they do is put their focus and their intention on the things here on earth, it changes the way they live. And it can change the way they live to a, such a degree or to a, a certain point where they no longer really even help people understand or believe that there is such a thing as heaven. And so he tells them, don't lose your focus. And it's easy to do. <laughs> it's one of the easiest things to do is to take our eyes off of heaven and place them on earth. Now, I don't know if Paul ran into this situation like what I've run into over the years as being a Christian and a pastor, but... It's hard to get people to think about heaven. And the reason for it is, is no matter how many different viewpoints or ideas that people have about what heaven is like or not like, there is one common denominator that most people, regardless of where they live or whatever time that they've lived in, that they associate with heaven and that heaven in the afterlife associates with it death. I mean, heaven typically is one of those things that you think about only because Either you're going to die or somebody that you know has died or is going to die. And, and, and we don't like to think about death, and so we don't really think about heaven that much and, unless death is coming. And if you don't have good information about heaven, then it can be very depressing. 
And if you don't have very much information about it, then you're left with speculation, and that can even be very, very disappointing, very depressing. So today I'm going to talk about three things, three of the most frequently asked questions that I have had over the years pertaining to heaven. Before I do that, I want to touch on something that Pastor Kurt had touched on last week in his sermon, The Peek Behind the Curtain. And if you haven't seen that, then I would encourage you to go online and listen to that, even, even if you think, well, I've already heard the second sermon now today. The first one won't make sense. Sure it will. Go on and listen to that. And if you think it's important, share that with a friend. Okay? But here's the very first part of that verse that I read to you, and it was this. Since you have set, excuse me, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. What he's saying there is this. He's, he's talking to Christians. What he's saying there is, is that for those of you who are believers, in other words, those of you who have accepted God's invitation to go to heaven. See, God invites us to come to heaven to be with him, but in order for us to be able to accept that invitation, there is an exchange. And Pastor Kurt talked about that last week. And this exchange involves this. It's where we, you and I, all of us here, we surrender our lives over to God along with our sin, all of the stuff that's made us ugly. All, of this, all the deceit, all the trickery, all the lies, all the things that we have stolen all throughout our life, all the things that we have accumulated, we willingly surrender that over to God, and he ends up paying the price for that on the cross, which is a high cost for him, but the high cost for us is that we give over our lives to him, and as a direct result, he begins to empower us with his Holy Spirit to do things differently than what we've ever done before. And I know that that transition must seem like something of an impossibility to most people, but for those of us who know and can look back to the day when we first surrendered our lives over to God, hopefully what we've been able to see is a constant trajectory of us becoming more and more and more like God, more like Him because He's living within us. And so as Paul was saying to these Christians, guys, You've given your lives over to God. Now, because you've done that, you need to set your sights, place your focus on the realities of heaven. Now, the problem is with this, he didn't list a list, did he? It's not like Paul said, think about this reality and this reality and one, two, three. He assumed that the readers knew some things about the realities of heaven that they would be able to place their focus on. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about those things. But if you haven't been one of those people who have accepted this invitation of God's, that's the first thing you need to hear, is that God says, I have designed heaven to be with you. And God's idea of heaven isn't heaven without you. So let's cover these three questions, or what I've often referred to as obstacles that that people frequently ask or bring up. Here are the three. I'm going to give them to you all up front, and then we're going to unpack them one by one. Here's the first. What do people do in heaven? I mean, that honestly is one of the most asked questions. You know, when you you think about it, most people have been taught uh, one way or another that heaven is like sitting on a cloud and in one long extended worship set where all we do is try to figure out how to raise our hands and sing on key and do it at the right time. That just sounds lame to me. And if that's what your idea of heaven is, I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that, that's not what heaven is like. And I'm going to talk about what do we do in heaven today. Second thing, will I still know my family and friends? In other words, will I still have my identity? You know, do I know me? Do I know you? And then the third thing, what about babies? Babies. 
or children who die young, do they go to heaven? I want to cover those three things today. That first question, what do people do in heaven? If I were to take uh, the proper amount of time to cover this, it would take hours. And so I want to sum up for everybody something that I hope most people will be able to grasp. And it takes us right back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. If you've not heard the Genesis story and how it begins, here's how it begins. God's number one desire was to create a place where he could hang out and enjoy a sweet and satisfying relationship with the people that he loves and just simply do life together. That is what God designed. Uh, we refer to it as the Garden of Eden where he created Adam and Eve and God's design was that he would hang out with them and he would walk and he would talk with them and they would get to do stuff in the context of this community that God would experience this sweet and satisfying relationship with them. There were all these things that were going on there like work and a variety of other things and all of those things that God desired, he got to experience, of course, until the sin took place. But that was God's original plan. That was his desire. And literally since that point in time throughout the course of history, a lot of people have termed that environment paradise. Maybe you've heard that term before. And for literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, regardless of whether or not it was the Jewish culture or the Egyptian culture or the Babylonian culture or a Persian culture or any other culture, all of these ancient cultures all had these different beliefs about heaven and about paradise. Now, is it real? Well, believe it or not, Jesus actually confirmed this idea of paradise. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Jesus went to the cross, and while he was there on the cross, there was one of the thieves who was hanging beside him, and this thief has said to him, quote, and you'll see it on the screen, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. They're about to die. Can you imagine how comforting that had to be to that man? To hear Jesus, the one who he believes is king and deserved of a kingdom, turn and say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, what did that mean? What did that guy think it meant? Well, historically, there are four things that across all of the different ideas of heaven that have seemed to be commonalities. One of which is, is that heaven or this paradise is a place that's secure, it's safe from attack. Number two, it was also free from the burdens of sin, free from the burdens of being cheated or lied to, to be stolen from or taken from. You wouldn't have to deal anymore with the financial burdens of all of those things that pressure and stress us. Number three, it was a place that is beautifully designed like a garden or a palatial estate where people were able to enjoy fun activities and refreshing activities like fishing <laughs> and hunting. Historically, that's what they thought. <laughs> and number four, it's a place of celebrating, a place of feasting. It's, it's an amazing place. That's what this guy must have thought of paradise. And, and Jesus, Jesus talked about paradise with this guy. He, he mentions it by name. And so I don't know what this guy thought. I don't know what Jesus necessarily thought. But I know that what in that moment Jesus wanted this guy to know was is this. I know you're about to die here soon for your sins. But life is waiting for you just on the other side, and it's awesome. It's paradise, and we get to be there together. 
is what Jesus was saying to this dude. That's good news. It's really good news. Now, Jesus also mentions other things about paradise or about heaven. He mentions things like homes and cities and commerce and travel and an inheritance and status and rewards and probably one of the most important things that's ever talked about throughout the New Testament, especially out of the mouth of Jesus, is this, is that those rewards that we receive in heaven are oftentimes because we have shown that we were proper managers of those same things while we have been here on earth. So Jesus has made it clear to many, many, many of his disciples, and many and many of them have made it clear to all of those people, so that when Paul could write a letter to the church in Colossae years later, he could say to them, set your sights, your vision, look toward those things that you know to be real about heaven, because when you do, it will change the way that you live your life. And that's what Jesus wanted them to know, is these are some of the things that it would be like in heaven. But... Let's face it. How amazing would heaven be if we really didn't have an identity anymore that was carried over from earth? There are some people who really have been taught, and I I can't go into all the explanations as to why, but there have been many people who have been taught that when we get to heaven, God kind of like wipes the slate clean and we're all fresh and new. That doesn't make sense to me. And so I want to address that second question right away. Will I still know my family and friends? Let me explain it to you this way. way. One day Jesus was meeting with the religious elite called the Pharisees, okay? Uh, Many people looked toward them as being kind of like the Bible answer men of their day and age. And so when they wanted to know something, they, they went to these guys to find out what would be the truth about it. And Jesus had some correcting to do of their wrong thinking, particularly about God. And so he started to tell them a story And he was illustrating in the story some things that are truths about heaven. And this is what he was saying. He was saying that there was a guy who had 100 sheep. One of the sheep had disappeared and wandered off by itself, and it was lost. And so he kept the 99 sheep all together in one place and left them alone, completely left them alone, and went out to search to find this one sheep that had strayed away. And when he he finds it, Jesus says that this man calls all of his friends and his neighbors to come and celebrate with him that he has found this sheep that was once lost. And then this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees to connect the dots and to make the point. And it'll be on the screen for you. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He further emphasizes his point by talking about a woman who has lost a coin in her house someplace. And she turns on all the lights and she sweeps all over the place looking in every nook and cranny and she finds it. And when she finally finds it, Jesus says that she calls all of her friends and all of her neighbors and has them come over to celebrate with her that she has found this thing that was so precious to her that was once lost but is now found. And then he reiterates this point one more time and says this, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, I hope you get this point here, and if not, let me explain it a little bit more. Both this man and this woman called the people who would be most interested in celebrating with them something momentous that had taken place. 
And the momentous thing that had taken place was something that was precious to them that was once lost was now found and it was worth celebrating. And God says that there is a celebration that is taking place in heaven in the exact same way when someone here on earth who was precious to somebody in heaven who was once lost is now found. Let me ask you this question. Who in heaven right now would love to celebrate you repenting. Would love to celebrate you changing and putting your focus back on God. Or maybe for the first time. Jesus said that there's a celebration that takes place in heaven. So the answer to the question of, will I still know my family and friends? Oh yeah. They know you now. They know you now. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. If you were here last week, you know that Pastor Kurt said, I want you guys to go and read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and reflect on it and to think about it. Let me read to you exactly what verse 1 says of Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See, if you read chapter 11, you know that what he's talking about are all these people who have died and they've gone to heaven and they're waiting and now they're watching and they're looking at you. Well, who's most interested in looking at you? Who's most interested in watching you run this life of faith? And who's most interested every single time that you make a decision for God and you repent and you turn away from the stupid stuff of this world that so easily trips us up? Instead, you place your focus and your faith and your trust in God and say, dude, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you today. I'm going to live for you the day after that. I'm going to live in such the way that people know that I believe in you and that I believe in heaven and that I am looking forward to going home. This is what God would want from us. You see, when you place your thoughts, when you place your sights, when you know that there are things that are real about heaven, it will change the way that you live. And I know this to be true. Because it's been true in my life. And one of the best arguments for God is God himself. And I can say that God has argued to me that, Matt, I can take the things that you struggle with and you place your focus and your attention on here on this earth and I can get you to think differently about them if you will just think about the realities of heaven as you think about them. Put this new lens on your eyes so that you will see everything now through that lens of heaven. And when we do that, it will change the way that we live. Talk about that third question. What about babies and children who die young? Do they go to heaven? When people ask me this question, it's not just about children. Sometimes it's about older children who maybe who aren't necessarily children in age anymore, but they're maybe mentally, they've been handicapped or they've been mentally ill all their lives. There's a broad category of people who fit into this. I know many people here like myself, we've lost children to miscarriages. Curtis shared many times that he and Laura have had to suffer through the experience of losing a grandchild just shortly after birth. Many of us have had to say goodbye to people that we love, here recently even. What happens for those little kids? In 2003, I was planting a church, and while I was preparing to launch this 
church plant. My wife and I became pregnant for only the fourth time. And see, when we were married back in early 92, or back in 1992, we immediately wanted to have a family and begin having children, and so we began the process of trying to have kids. And things didn't work out. Shortly after we were married, we had a miscarriage, and, and then it was a long time before my wife got pregnant again, and she had another miscarriage that second time we got pregnant. And then the third time she got pregnant, it was a set of twins, and we lost those two, and it changed me. It changed me, and I hated God for it. If you don't know my story, there's one thing that I wanted more so than every other thing when I was a kid. When I grew up, the thing that I knew that I wanted to be was a daddy, not just a father. I think any dude who's equipped by God with parts and stuff can be a father, but it takes more than that to be a daddy. You understand? Hello. Okay, I'm just making sure because you all are, I can't really see you as well, but I wanted to be a daddy. So at age seven, I went to a, a yard sale, and I bought these, a knitted hair ribbons, green, white, and red for my daughter at age seven, planning ahead. I'm kind of a planner. <laughs> and so after all of these miscarriages, the loss of my dream, I hated God for it. I felt like he was taking stuff away from me. I was losing children. And so here I was. I, I'm a pastor. I'm about to be a pastor. And I'm thinking this time, the fourth time, my wife gets pregnant, this is going to work because I'm obviously I'm on the right path now. I'm living for God now. And when this child was lost, I remember sitting in a coffee shop afterwards thinking, how am I going to tell everybody? I hate having to tell everybody again that I've lost another child. And immediately, something different happened, different than every other time. God helped me to realize, Matt, your children aren't lost. Your children aren't lost. That's not the right way to think about it. That's thinking as if there's no heaven involved. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where God sits at the right hand of God and all power and authority have been given to him. Do not think about things here just on this earth. And I was reminded by a story of King David. King David, one of the most popular kings of all of Israel. Most people know him as the dude who killed Goliath. There's a lot of other things that happened in David's life too. One of which was is that he had a young son that was born and things weren't well. Things weren't well at all in David's life and in his kingdom and it didn't look like he was going to make it. And so David did everything that he knew that he could do, constantly trying to figure out a way. And after his son had died, David came out of his mourning, and this is what he said, quote, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? Now listen, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. See, David knew. 
David knew, I'd love to be able to hold this boy. I'd love to be able to hear his voice, watch him grow up. I remember thinking there in that coffee shop, got it, how much I would love to be able to have a child that I could just be a daddy to. And God said, well, you will. You will. You haven't lost a child. Someday you will go to be with him just like David went to be with his son. Don't sweat it, man. I've got this. I've got this. And it changed me. When I lost my kids before, I hated him. I hated you. I hated her. I hated anybody to do with God. And it changed me. And I didn't live my life in any way, shape, or form that made anybody else think about God, at least not in a good way. But this time, it changed me. And God helped me to know, Matt, you're going to be just fine. Everything is going to be okay. And I was able to approach life with a mentality of, it is well. It's well. It's well with my soul because I know that God is in control. I know that Jesus is on the throne. And I know what the realities of heaven are. That there is a place that has been prepared for me and my family. And I repented. And I changed. And in that moment, something occurred to me. See, at that point in time, I had already had four now five children in heaven. And I wondered if they got to see me repent. I wondered if they got to see me change. And along with all of my family who had been there before, who were watching me at that point in time live my life out and try to run the race with endurance, stripping off the sin that so easily was hindering me up, I wonder if they got to celebrate in heaven because one sinner decided to repent. I hope so. So, here are some realities that I would like for you to place your mind upon today. What do we get to do in heaven? We get to live our lives out sweetly in the midst of relationship with all the other people who have accepted God's invitation for an exchange, many of which will be our family, our friends, my kids, maybe some of yours. We'll get to spend that time in those relationships doing a lot of the same things that we do now and experiencing a lot of the blessings of life eternal without the worry of sin, without the worry of finances, without the worry of decay. As Kurt talked about last week, hopefully in a big seven-foot-tall body where I can dunk a basketball. And I get to be with my kids. <laughs> I get to be a daddy. Most importantly, we're still here. I'm still here. And there are a lot of people who need to know that heaven is for real. And the best way that they might be able to know that it's real is if you and I live like it's for real. And we've placed our sights on the reality of it. That's my prayer for you today. Lord, there are so many things that I would love to thank you for. So many things that I'd love to just make you feel, genuinely feel 
how appreciative I am, first of all, for your patience. Oh, you put up with us. Enough said. Thank you for that. Thank you for letting us grow up. Thank you for letting us mature. And in your patience, Lord, you, you deal with the problems that we create as we get frustrated and we throw our fist into the air and scream at you, why did you let this happen? And you patiently help us to understand there's so much more going on than what you realize. And I pray that today that we all got that, that we all see that and are experiencing right now that there is heaven, there is something that's going on besides just this, this earth and the things that are troubling us. And I pray that you would help every single one of us to be able to, with an attitude of heaven in sight, say, Lord, I can face anything. I can face this trial that I'm experiencing right now. All is well because you are still God. You are on the throne. Today, maybe you're one of those people who you haven't made that exchange yet. You haven't accepted that invitation. I'm going to give a short, simple prayer that you can take the words and make it your own or you can change them up if you want to. The important thing is, is are they your words and do they come from your heart? Here it is. God, please forgive me. Please take my sin. Please take my life, all this stuff, and forgive me and change me. If it means that you live inside of me, that your Holy Spirit comes inside of me, then yes, I want that too. I need the power to be able to change. Would you please take my life? And I promise you I will live for you the best that I know how. If you would just help me to know, I will live for you. And if that's your heart, and if those are your words, right now the Holy Spirit has identified you, and maybe you feel it. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. Lord, <laughs> you're so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making heaven, and thank you for making a way, because you're the only one who could make a way for us to get there. There's nothing that we could have ever done on our own, and so thank you for all of the work that you have done to make heaven possible. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. We're going to sing through this song. And if you don't want to sing or you don't want to stand and sit and quietly listen, but at least, at the very least, listen to this song as a song of prayer. And if you can utter the words to it, then sing. We're also going to take an offering, and we do this at this time because an offering to God is more than just giving up money. It's saying to him, the thing that you have considered the most important being your bride and your church, I also consider to be important. And you can help her continue to exist with the way that you give. Let's move through this song. Let's listen to God and let's respond to him in the way that you think is best. And then I'll come back up and close this. I hope it is. I hope it is well with your soul. I hope you walk out of this place today changed. I hope you walk out of this place today with your sight sets on the realities of heaven. And if you didn't know some before, I hope you do now. And I hope you go from this place, and I hope this whole thought stays with you throughout the course of this week. And then every person that you run into, I hope you hear the Spirit of God say, does this person know me yet? And if not, can you invite them? Can you invite them? Just simply invite them to come to a place like this where they might just run right in to God. Today, if you made that prayer, yours. <clears throat> we have a gift for you. 
Would you swing by one of the tables on your way out and grab one? If you've made that prayer your own and you have stepped into the family and now you have a place being prepared for you in heaven, please grab one of these, open it up, go through that, and then let me or one of the other pastors know that that is something that you've done and we'll help you get started in this walk of faith and running this this race. And now so many people will be interested in watching. God bless you guys. I hope that you experience God today. Hope to see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.